Well, good morning. Everybody good? All right, man. That's a good worship, huh? Um, I'll tell you what, man. I'm really excited about to be here this morning as I am every week that we get to meet together as a church. Um, if, for those of you who are new this morning, if you're, if you're brand new uh, to Connection Church, if you've never been here before, or if you've been here a long time ago, then you're coming back or you're trying us again, whatever it may look like this morning, I just want to welcome you. I want to thank you that you're here to worship with us this morning. It's such an honor to have you um, in our house today to worship with us because we believe God is good. We believe God reigns. We believe he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and we get to worship him together as a family, and it's awesome to do that together with brothers and sisters in Christ, isn't it? And so this morning, that's what I want to celebrate because we're so excited about all that God's doing around us in this house, through this house, and other churches across our city. And we're so humble that he's using the bodies in this place to reach people with the message of the gospel. And that is something that we need to never grow numb to because it's so important to see that God is moving in his church. And he wants us to come into alignment with what he's doing and walk out in obedience where he's calling us to walk. And last week, we witnessed this literally. Meredith, we've already celebrated this one time. But we witnessed this in a man's life last week, going from death to life. It's a, it's a beautiful thing to watch that happen because in, in this evening, I, it's, it's really cool for me as a pastor to get a front row seat to some people's lives and where they're walking things out and how um, this, this man's wife was praying for him. This man's wife's connector was praying for this man and God moved in his heart. That's a beautiful thing, man. That's something we should celebrate every day. The picture of Jesus leaving the 99 and coming after the one. Because I want to tell you right now, at some point in our life, we've been the one. And today, I just want to say it's awesome that we serve a God that hasn't left us as orphans. He hasn't left us rejected. He hasn't left us in our sin. He's called us back to himself through Jesus. He's given us a way back to him. He's restored us back to him. If we would just come to him and say, Lord, I need you. God, my sins, they're, they're great, God, but you're a great Savior. If we come to him in repentance and give ourselves to him, he's there to forgive and he's there to restore and he's there to make us whole. And that is something that never gets old in my book. That's something that never gets old or bored or stale. That's something that I can always look to one day because of what Jesus did. I look forward to the day that I get to see the face of Jesus, to touch his hands, to kiss his feet, and to say I love you to his face. If that's not something we're looking forward to, we need to check our pulse this morning because that is something amazing to think about. But because of what God's done through Christ, we have eternal life in him, eternal hope in him. And this morning, that's what I want you to hear first off before we get going this morning. Because until then, let's always hold this time special. When we come in here in the house of God with the people of God to worship, to meet as a family or in your connect groups, wherever you're at, with the times we come with our brothers and sisters in Christ, it's a special moment. It's a special moment we get to, to sharpen one another. We get to love on one another and we get to, to remember what God's done through Christ. And we get to, we get to look forward to the day he returns. That should be what gives us hope because God is doing some pretty special things around us and I hope and pray that your eyes will be open and you wouldn't just come here or to any church and just do church or just check the box or then go home. But my heart would be that you would come in this place or any church you go to and God would open up scriptures to you in a way that you see that you have, you have purpose and value and you have giftings and abilities that he's putting inside of you to see them used for the kingdom purposes to, be, to build up the church but also to build the kingdom here. And that's what God wants, man. That's, what he's, that's why he sent his son. And I pray that you encounter Jesus every time you walk through these doors. Every time we, we open the word to, to read scripture and to, and to teach. Every time we worship together. My heart is that something inside of you would come alive. That it just wouldn't be just, a, 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 just going through the motions, but something inside of you would, would wake up 
and that you would understand that you have a next step in this place. Andrew took a big next step last week. Guess what? We all have a next step in this room. We have a next step in our faith where God's trying to lead us. And I want to promise you something right now. 90% of the time, it's going to terrify you. But God's big, and he's there with us, and he's walking with us. Look through Scripture. You see God walk through everything with every man in Scripture to see him come out on the other side and to glorify God. And I want to tell you right now, when God created you in the beginning of your life, in the beginning of time, he had intent in mind for your life. He had intent. He didn't say, well, this person may or may not do well. He had intent, a purpose for you to see your life lived out on this earth to glorify him. And we would love as a church to help you find that. We would help you find that. We would love to see you get involved. We would love to see you put your yes on the table and let God put it on a map somewhere. That's our, that's our heart, is to see you put your yes on the table. Yes, Lord, whatever it is, and then let God put it on the map for you. Let him show you where he wants it to go. And let walking in obedience, and we believe so strongly that what God has called us to do is spread the glory of his gospel and his kingdom to the ends of the earth. And we believe that starts right here in Chatham County and working its way out to the ends of the earth where we see people who are lost and dying without the hope of the gospel in their culture. And that's our heart. And that's why we want to do what we're doing here every week. And today we're in our second week of a series called, as you can see, it's called Saved and Secure. And we're going to be walking through Scripture and we're going to be talking for the next two or three weeks that, that until we're secure in our faith, that we're never going to be able to walk out the plans and the purposes that God has set for our church or for you or for the Big C Church, all of us together. We'll always be walking in insecurity. We'll never be effective disciple makers because we'll always be wondering, does God love me? Did I, did I screw up too much this time? Did I, is, does my past disqualify me? We'll never, be able to, uh, be, we'll never be able to be a church that sends people to the nations because we'll never have any focus or direction because we'll always be worrying about maintenance mode, making sure everyone is, are you, do you feel secure? Are you, are you okay? Let's, let's pat each other on the head. That's not what God's calling us to do. He's calling us to be secure, to be assured, and to walk in the future, bold believers in Christ, to see the kingdom come and his will be done here. And we'll never be a church that's focused on our community if we're so inwardly focused on us. Do you know what I'm saying? Because we'll always be so self-consumed trying to figure out, am I saved? Am I really saved? Does God love me? How do I know God loves me? Let me go get a word. Let me go, let me go bow and praise and worship. And that, those are all great things. But if those things aren't producing things out of us and sending us out into our communities, they're a waste of time. And I want to tell you right now that we said last week, this is not where God wants us to be. If God loves us, if God loves us, which he does, if God saved us, which he has made a way for you to be saved, if he renews you, which he does through the sanctification process, then he wants us to be assured in our salvation. He wants us to know where we stand with him. And we believe that in those places, if we're not saved, we have a reason to feel insecure. If we're not saved, we believe that God is drawing us to himself. We believe if you're not a Christian in this place or not a believer, a follower, that God's drawing you. He's drawing you to himself. He's drawing you into his presence, trying to, to win your heart. And it's important to know where you stand on that line. It's so important. This whole entire series we've been talking about um, so far at 1 John, because 1 John is talking about assurance of your salvation. He was talking to the, to the church, and, and he was talking to the church there, and the, the Gnostics were coming into the church, and they were causing all types of confusion. But John writes the entire book in the very last chapter, a few verses from the end, in verse 13, he says this. He says, I write these things to you 
who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. And the reason why he writes these things, he's, he's saying, he's reiterating what he said the entire time. This is how you know that you know him. This is how you know that you're in Christ. This is how you know. This is how you know. And if you underline all the times it says it in First John, you'll have a lot of stuff underlined because he wants to show you that you can know that you're in Christ. And we believe as a church, until you know that you're in Christ, it's going to be hard for you to have kingdom effectiveness in your life and in your walk. And some of the questions we talked about were, how do you know that you know God? Ask yourself this question. How do you know that you know God? How do you, how do you know that he loves you? How do you know that you're at peace with God? How do you know that you're going to spend eternity with him? How do you know that you're saved? I said this last week. When I sit down with discipleship with somebody, the first question I look them in the face, I said, are you a Christian? Are you saved? And they'll be like, yeah, man, I'm saved. I went to church my whole life. I'll be like, how do you know? Then they're like, white face. I don't know. Oh, no. and, so, and it's hard. And it's so important for the church to be able to articulate how we know we're saved. It's so important for us to stop using Christianese in our evangelism tactics. It's so important for us to be able to explain what God has done on the cross in a way that the world can understand, to show them who they are without Christ so they can see the good news of who they are with Christ. And I want you to hear this this morning, is that these are the, some of the most important questions that you'll ever consider. It's more important than what job you get. It's more important than how much money you make. It's more important than how many friends you have. It's more important than how good your marriage is. It's more important even than how happy your life is is where you stand with Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Where are you at? And we pointed to one truth last week. It has the power to create so much insurance in us if we come to terms and grips with it. And it's where Satan tries to, to play games, play mind games with us. And it's this, is, guys, we're, if you're a Christian in here, if you're a believer, if you're a disciple, you've been saved from sin and you've been saved for a purpose. If you're a believer in here this morning, you've been saved from your sin the penalty has been propitiated, is what we talked about last week. It's been fully satisfied, and you've been saved to and for a purpose, to see God's kingdom come, his will be done, to see his glory reach the ends of the earth. That means we've died to ourselves, and we're putting him first, and we're going after his kingdom. And once we get this, it's a game changer. You'll see the face of this church change. You'll see the outside of these walls in this community change. You'll start seeing effects of the kingdom coming and changing the crime rate, changing marriages in this place. You'll start seeing the spirit of God coming to life in his church and changing the very environment that we live in, in this city, in this state, in this world. If you don't believe me, go read Acts. The world changed when the Holy Spirit came into his church. But we've quenched the spirit for so long as the church. It's time for us to get back to our roots and come alive in what he's calling us to come alive in. Y'all excited about that? Yeah. It's important. And let's do this, man, because it's a game changer. It changes everything. We have to stop being so nearsighted and blind and look into the future and see where he's leading us. And today what we're going to be talking about in this second installment here is how if someone is saved... If someone knows Christ, if someone has gone from death to life, becoming a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, they progressively or they increasingly have a healthy view of God and a right view of their sin. If somebody's saved, they have a right view of God, and that gives them a right view of their sin. And they know where they're at, and it makes them humble before the Lord. And so let's pray this morning, and then we're going to jump into Romans 5 um, really quick before we get into 1 John. We're going to look at Romans 5, verse 20 through chapter 6, verse 14. And so let's pray together, and then we'll jump in, and we'll get going here. So, Father God, I love you so much, and I thank you for who you are. 
God, you're the great I am, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the first and the last, God. You're the beginner and you're the, you're the sustainer, God. You're, the, you're, you're all things to all people. God, I pray today that you would just come in this place, convict our hearts where we're wrong, Father, and give us the courage and the boldness to change, Father. Help us to respond to the gospel. God, help us to respond to the gospel, Father. I pray against any sort of uh, stronghold in this place on any heart. God, I pray that it would be broken in Jesus' name. Father, I pray that you would move in this place in a mighty way today. God, touch someone's heart, touch my heart, touch us all, God. Put us in motion, Father, as a church. Help us to be like you, Father. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to look at verse 20, um, starting off, and then we're going to go to verse 14 in chapter 6. So let's read this. And the reason we're reading this is because it gives a very vivid picture of us being dead to sin and alive in Christ. It gives us a very vivid picture of who we are without Christ, and it gives us a very vivid picture of who we are now with Christ. And Romans is a very deep book, and we can look at these 10 or 12 verses, or 15 verses, or however many they are here, and we can look at these for probably eight weeks, just these verses. But we're not going to, so just uh, do that in your own time, and we'll come back to Romans at a later date, okay? So, all right, so here we go. This is what it says. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. Basically what that means, the law was given so that you could see your sin for what it really is. Like, since the law is there, I see how bad I am. We, we, the, this is like a mirror. The law is a mirror. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Hallelujah. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? Because of all this, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? The church actually lives this way sometimes, I believe it or not. By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? How can we go on in sinning? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into the death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in the resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be sins, or slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. That's a, that's a great verse. So make sure all these are, they're huge. Um, verse 11, in the same way, in the same way, that word, the next word there is count in my Bible. It should be some consider. It could be uh, a bunch of different ones in your Bible. Um, it means to, it's an actional word for you to make sure that you're making your mind, I'm, I'm counting, I'm considering this as fact. This is where I stand. This is my position now. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not, do not let, that word let, three-letter word, words we read over in Scripture all the time, that those three-letter words like that are huge. Don't let. It's saying that I have the opportunity to, to allow sin in, to let sin in, or I, get, I have the opportunity to the Holy Spirit to destroy sin as it tries to come into my life. There's a, there's a power there through the, through the Spirit that we need to make sure we understand. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. 
but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law but under grace. And the reason why we started right here in Romans is because I want you to hear. My heart is for you that you would hear. Hear and be confident in the position we have in Christ if you're in Christ. The weight of your sin, the weight of your life, if you're in him, now rest in the hands of God through the life of Christ. It's beautiful to see words like in him, with him, in him, with him, because of him, to him. Those words like that don't look over. Those are big words. With Christ means I have an association with Christ that if I'm in him, it's hard to tell where he begins or where I end. I'm, I'm one with him. We are one together with Christ. He, he took my sin to the cross, propitiated it, took, took it all. He's now my advocate before the Father. He's now, he's now um, advocating for justice because he's taken the entire bit of everything. And so there's a, there's, a, there's a position change happening of me going from death to life. I, I was once dead in my sins, and now I'm alive in Christ. And if we have trusted Christ as our Lord and Savior, what this verse should scream to you is, look what God has done through Jesus. That's what your life should scream if, if this is you. Look what God has done through Jesus. Look what he's done in my life through Christ. And it's one thing to come and sing a song and just, and just get to tears. And it's one thing to just, oh, man, God's so good. But it's another thing to associate your life, not just on a Sunday morning in a, in a church service, but on a Monday morning when you don't want to go to work. Look what God has done in my life. It's another thing to do it whenever you're in a situation where you're the only one in the room who is a believer, who is God is saying, hey, share the love of Christ in this moment. And you say, look what God has done in my life, even if it makes you look like a fool. Look who you are because of what God has done. And look at the hope that is found in your new position in Christ. We have a new identity. But so many believers are still stuck in the old man mentality of living in your old self. Well, this is how I feel, so this might be just how I am. Right? It's time, to, it's time for us as a church, as a big C church around this entire area and around the world to step into the calling and the newness and the, and the new creation that God has called us into because in that new creation is power, there's wisdom, there's discernment, the fruit of the Spirit overflows and the world sees a different person. And that's what the biggest testimony in your life could ever be, that new person. When somebody comes to you and says, what in the world is wrong with you? Because I know the old Michael, but this dude's different. You know what I mean? That's what it looks like. And that's what we need to understand. But until we live in that identity, we'll never experience the assurance that we're talking about in this series about, series about being saved and secured. Because there's a lot of people in this room right now that are saved. But I bet you that number dwindles as you start asking if they're sure of their salvation. And that's where Satan wants you at. He wants you to be insecure so that you can't live in the calling that God's given you. Assurance and security is so crucial. Because our faith, it will always be shaken by, by every little thing that comes against us until we understand who we are. Romans 6 right there was huge. Read that 100 times a day. It'll give you some assurance of who you are, who you are in Christ. And until you're in that place where you understand, it's going to be hard. And our identity, it comes from Jesus and what he did. And it has nothing to do with what we did. Nothing can shake us if we're found in him. Nothing can shake us because what it has to do, if that nothing, uh, the, the things that try to come against us, what it has to do is it has to come through Jesus before it gets to me. Like, nothing can stop us if we're in Christ. Nothing can stop. But when we try to go out on our own, God, I'm going to do my thing. I'll see you next Sunday. When we try to do all that, that's whenever we just get all messed up. 
We need to be walking with Jesus every day. And here's how Romans 6 works. When we put faith in Jesus as the substitute for our sins, God counts our faith as righteousness. Our faith in what Jesus has done, he counts that as righteousness. And as we count, and you, we just talked about consider yourself dead to sin, remember? Um, and as we count ourselves dead to sin, what happens in that moment in the spiritual realm, God infuses it into us is the power of new life. As we begin to count things dead, the sin dead, as we start putting our faith in Jesus, the Holy Sp- God through the Holy Spirit infuses the power to start creating new life in us. And he starts giving us new desires. He starts giving us a desire for his word. There's a couple in this church, I was talking to Savannah about the other day, that like this, this couple was here one time, and they were here now, and like I, we're walking through life with these people, and these jokers are like surpassing us in our Bible study. They're, they're t- texting me and calling me, hey, who's Melchizedek? I'm like, what? Why are you even reading about him, man? Like, you just started. Like, what the heck? I mean, they're just, I mean, it, we're digging in. People are digging in to see God. And, that, and that's what it's about is, is, is seeing that power of change. And God, he puts the power of new life in us. And just as we believe our way into justification, I believe that Jesus has saved me. We believe our way into sanctification. I believe he's going to continue and have faith that he's going to continue his work in me. But this is the problem that the church kind of struggles with a lot of times. They'll say, well, Michael, you know what? When I do that, I don't feel the resurrection power. Have you ever felt that? I put my faith in Christ, but I don't, ever, I don't feel it. I don't feel the power coursing through my veins. I don't, I don't feel dead to my sin. I feel very much tempted to go do this. I feel very much a desire to want to go eat that, look at that, say this, do this right? I feel the, the pull to go do it. I don't feel dead to my sin. Sin and wrong desires in me feel very much alive. You know what I mean? I, I'm sure you can relate. I hope you can because I look like a fool. But listen, my first bit of information for you, if that's your place, is get out your feelings. You don't feel your way to God. You don't have emotions. God is not an emotion to be felt. He's a person to experience. And I'll tell you right now, look at, um, look at Abraham, for instance. You, can, you might remember um, Abraham was God's example for this, faith-infused righteousness. It says because Abraham believed, it was counted to him as righteous. He, he, he believed, and so he was counted as righteous. And it was because of Abraham's faith that God counted him and righteous, it's righteous, but I was reading this and looking at this. You can even read in Romans 4, um, at 90, after an entire life of infertility, God declared he would have a son. Well, me, if I'm 90 years old, and he says, Michael, you're going to have a son, I'm going to be like, mm-hmm. you're crazy, man. Like, what are you talking about? But it wasn't just any son, though. It wasn't just some random kid. It was the, it was, he said that he was going to have a son that would father a great nation. Remember that? For, so now when God said Abraham, when God, when God said that Abraham didn't say, you know what, God, Abraham went like, you know, God, I have been kind of feeling frisky these last few weeks. You know what, I, I'm, I believe you. We're going to have a child. We're going to do this. This dude was 90 years old. And there were some age differences in the Bible. You know, people lived to be like three or four or five or six or 700 years old. But 90 years old is still 90 years old, okay? And, and it's not like, you know, uh, I'm, 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 I, you know what, God, I believe you. Let's do this. No, Romans 4 says he believed God and said, even though I don't, I don't feel it, even though he knew that um, his body was way past the expiration date to be having kids, he believed what the Bible said 
And what happens was he received strength. He received strength. But the reason that we settle for less than what God wants to give is because we've imposed this small view of God on ourselves that has been stemming from the small amount of faith in him that we live by. Because we like to control things a lot. And then it gets out of our control. We start freaking out as people, and it, it doesn't make sense. And so we like to pad our lives with this security blankets that we call um, in, in security that we place in, in things like insurance or things like a home or a family or, or other things outside of God. But I'll tell you right now, what you truly believe in your life, it will always come out in how you live. So you can come up here and you can say, hey, I believe in Jesus. I, I'm full of faith. I love God. He's done so much in my life but your life will actually tell what you actually believe. You can't, and let me tell you, you can say, you can say, you know what, I have a big faith, I have a big view of God, I have a huge faith in him, but your life will always tell the true story. The people around you are going to know if you really have true faith. If you have a big view of God in 1 Samuel 17, I can tell you right now the story of David and Goliath. Everyone knows that if you've ever been to church at all, um, this story is a great example of perspective and having a correct view of God. Because David saw this giant, this man who's a warrior, and David was a little boy carrying bread to his brothers. This, this warrior was cursing the name of God and coming against Israel, and there was a bad situation all the way around. No warrior in Israel wanted to stand up against him, but David saw Goliath through the lens of how big his God was. And the Israelites were looking at Goliath through the lens of how small they were in the fight and were forgetting about God. And David's big view of God, he, he knew, he trusted, he had faith, led him to victory by taking a very big step that no one would have made sense of, right? The steps that we take in Christ don't make sense to a lot of people. Why do I take that job? Why do I make this decision with my money? Why do I go to the ends of the earth? Why do I sell all I have and move? Why do I do these things? Because God is moving in my heart and calling me to do these things and putting his life in me. And when we come face to face with, with the holiness and the perfection of God, our Father, and we understand that his holiness, what it means to us, what happens in our life is we understand what a low position is. We bow before him and we submit to him because he is all we need and he is way bigger than all that we will ever be. Uh, A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite pastors, authors, theologians said, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about us. So my question to you, church, is when you think about God, what comes to your mind? Is it something that you can explain? Is it something that you can handle and control? Is it something that you just see on Sunday mornings? Is it something that controls your life? Who is God in your life? And I've said this before, that every spiritual issue that you have this morning Every single spiritual issue in this room this morning, whether it's depression, whether it's doubt or fatigue, whether it's falling into sin, is all a, resort, a result of a, of a small view of God. And no matter what you're going through, if you're struggling with sin, if you're struggling, it's a result of a small view of God that God can't take care of it. So I'm going to resort to my own ability to take care of it. And we allow our worldview to be constructed by our experiences, like how we look at the world by what we experience or, or what, what, what it creates doubt. And we have these frustrations and these fears and these apathies. And, we, and that's what constructs our worldview. And what happens if, we're, if our worldview is constructed by our experiences, it's going to be a very small worldview. And it's never going to push us to the ends of the earth because we're never going to have God in that equation. 
because it's going to be based on us and not him. And what we have to see, God is holy above all things. He's the same at my birth as he is at my death. He is just as present in both of those moments at the same time. Mind blown, I know. Listen, God is holy, but until we see everything, everything through the lens of this gospel, of the gospel, we will consistently waver between two feelings or emotions about who God is, what our experiences say about God, who God actually is, and we'll constantly forget who he actually is because we'll be basing them on our feelings. And again, I want to say a way that we can be assured in our faith in this is a way that we can have security in our faith is when we come to as disciples in, in front of Jesus, in front of Christ, is, is when we come to him, there will be a progressively or an increasingly healthy view of God and, and, and of our sin before him. There will be something that's, that's becoming more and more healthy in us is our view of God and our view of our sin. Um, if you want to turn to 1 John, we're going to read this um, really quickly. Uh, so 1 John chapter 1 is where we'll be at, and then we'll jump over to chapter 3. I'm going to read these together. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10, and then we'll read chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. He says this, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. This is John saying, this is what I've heard from Jesus' mouth, and this is the message that I'm declaring to you. I'm passing it on to you. God is light. It means God is sinless. In him, there is no sin at all. There's no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and the word and his word is not in us. Now let's skip over to chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. It says, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that in him he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No, sin, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one continues to sin, has either seen him or known him. That's a terrifying verse. And I want to tell you right now, this is, this is speaking more of living in sin, volitionally choosing to sin over loving Christ. This is not saying, oh, I messed up today. I sinned. That's not what it's talking about. This is saying, you know what? I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to, do my, I'm going to continue to live in the sin that I've been saved from. It means you don't understand who God is. It means you've never met him. That's what it's saying. You can't, it can't be done. And I want, to show, I want to point out three really quick things about, about these scriptures that I want us to see this morning. And I believe as you come to Christ, if you are a Christian in this room, if you are a believer, that you, there is something inside of you that you have a right view of God or an increasingly right view of God and you have a right view of your sin. You know what your sin looks like and you know who God is. You know what he's doing in your life. And you, you don't have to turn there, but in Psalms 8, um, verses 3, uh, three through nine, I believe it is. Is that right, guys, in the back? Three through nine, it says this. It says, when I consider your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you're mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands and put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals in the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. 
Lord, our good Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. And we've talked about this multiple times in here, but when we consider how incredibly vast the universe really is, we talked about that last a few weeks ago about if you went from one side of the Milky Way galaxy to the other side of the Milky Way galaxy, it would take you 100,000 years to get there. Remember that? It was wild. Blows, blows your mind still, right? It does me. Um, but when you confront these two realities of who God is and your sinfulness, you see two things. I'm small, God's big. I'm super small, God's massively large. I, can, I, don't, I don't have a word in the English language to describe it. When you compare the size of everything that God has called into existence, my life, my story, your life, your story, your life and your story is very small. He's very large. On the flip side of that, if we consider that the size of our gigantic universe is merely microscopic when compared to the size of our creator, what? My, I don't understand this anymore. I'm, you know, I have to leave this conversation because I'm not smart enough to get it, right? We, we realize that God is huge, and we realize because of this, the closer you get to God, the more aware you are of your sin. Can we agree with that? The closer you get to a perfectly holy God, the more aware you are of your sin. And you want to tell me why people run from God? Because they get exposed to their sin. They see how dirty they are before a creator, and they walk away because they don't like that feeling. And as a follower of Jesus, as we get closer to him, what it looks like is faith and repentance start revealing themselves in an, in an ever-increasing fashion. If you're a Christian here and you want to know if you're if really a believer, is, some, is repentance something that you live by? Is repentance evident in your life? Is repentance something where you're saying, God, you know what? I, I, you pointed this out in my life. God, I repent. I turn from this. I'm moving away. I, I'm a constant moving away from my sin. And because God, because closeness with God, what this looks like is closeness with God doesn't make me feel holier. Everybody's like, what? Closeness with God, if I get close to God, it doesn't make me feel like I'm holy. It makes me feel dirty. It makes me feel sinful. Look at Isaiah chapter 6 at a later time. Write it down. The prophet Isaiah, he found himself standing before God. And what did he say? Woe is me. Woe is me, I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. Listen, Isaiah was the man in this time. He was a prophet of God. He was at the top of the religious ladder. He, he had, him and God were good. They were having conversation. He was giving the word to the nations. And listen, but when he found himself in front of God, he doesn't come out thinking, I feel so holy and good when I see God. Man, it's awesome to see God right now. No, when he comes close to God, what stood out most to him was his sinfulness, not his goodness. And don't get me wrong, when you, we see Jesus, that's something completely different because we're in Christ, remember? But when you're standing before God without Christ, in your sin, we talked about this last week, a tissue paper on the surface of the sun. It doesn't last. We need Christ in those moments because of our sin. He was very aware of his uncleanness in that moment. And this is where I get so frustrated as a pastor that even in the church, we've gotten this really wrong. Like we get, well, there's, a, there's a few things that show me there are people even in church today, the Big C Church, that are actually still in the dark. They come to church and they, they have an association with God. They're depending on some sort of prayer they prayed at the altar or, or some sort of aisle that they walked to save them like we talked about last week. But the thing is, there's two or three things that I want to point out that, that the church largely has turned a blind eye to. But someone that I see in church that may not be 
truly out of the darkness is someone who believes without repenting. I said a few weeks ago or months ago that we love a Savior God, but we have a hard time with a Lord God, right? Somebody that's a Lord is going to tell me what to do. No, I'm, I'm American. I, I'm, I, you know, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to buy my guns and go to church. I'm going to do all this stuff because I'm American, man. Listen, I'm my, own, I'm my own Lord. No, Jesus is Lord and Savior or he's nothing, okay? Hey, listen, you can't truly believe in Christ without repenting. Look in Scripture. Repentance was the first response that Jesus called for in his first time preaching the gospel in Mark chapter 1. The very first time. The first command that Peter gives those people that he preached to in Acts 2, what does he say? Repent, be baptized. And what does Paul say when he commanded all the people everywhere to go to, to now that Jesus had been resurrected? He says, repent, repent. And what John is saying is you cannot be saved by the light. He's saying this in 1 John. You can't be saved by the light if you hate the light. Does that make sense? You can't be saved by the light if you hate the light. The second thing we struggle with in the church is we're casual or either embrace sin, right? We, 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 and when I say casual about it, we don't address it. Um, the church discipline is gone because whenever someone feels offended, they just move to another church, right? Listen, biblically speaking, when I read scripture, I see the church fighting against sin. I see the church turning against sin. It's, listen, well, I see people all the time like, well, we, me and my boyfriend live together, or I, I guess that's wrong, but we're still Christians. You know, you may be, but God's not okay with that, right? We may say, um, you know, I, I, me and my girlfriend, we, we sleep together, we do all this stuff and stuff, but, it, but we, we still make church a part of our life as if church is the reason why we get saved. And here's a, here's a better one is, is we have, the church is starting to change their views to the world, we're starting seeing things like abortion and homosexuality becoming a normal thing when the Bible speaks directly against those things. And you can't say that you know Christ is a Savior and Lord and not have forsaken what he's forbidden. And you can't love Jesus and embrace what he died for to put an end to. You can't do that. 1 John 2, 4 says, Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And listen, that's not me speaking. This is Scripture. And it's hard. It's, scripture is hard. It's hard. And if you know and love Jesus, you don't, you don't know him as your advisor who helps you have good, good, a good life and offers you helpful suggestions for a living. You know him as Lord. You know him as Lord or you don't know him as anything. Luke 6, 46. Jesus says, why would you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things I said? Does that make sense? We see the disconnect here in the church sometimes. And if you're the kind of person who's insists on agreeing with Jesus before you actually submit to him, I don't think we understand the concept of lordship because lordship is total. Um, he's right about everything. And I may be right about some things because I'm in him and I'm following him, but I'm not right about everything when he is, right? And don't hear me say this, please. If you're here this morning, you're struggling liking me right now because I'm preaching this, I'm sorry. Listen, don't hear me say that you have to agree with me. I don't want you to agree with me because I'm speaking on stage. I don't want that. I don't even want to be up here most weeks. I, I would rather be there because this, this, I want you to hear this. Read this book with an open heart, with a humbled heart, with a surrendered heart, with an open mind to what God's trying to do in your life and find out for yourself. Do it for yourself. 
Because I'm telling you, he'll show you things. But from the beginning, you have to resolve that where you and Jesus disagree, he's right, and you have to change. Because anytime you read this book, and you're like, I don't agree with that, we have to assume that we're wrong. Because this is the inerrant, holy book that God has given us his word to live by. And I'm not saying you're a perfect person because you're not. We fall often. But what I am saying, there is a decided resolution that Jesus is Lord, and that is the way is right, and my way is not always right, and we're going to follow him no matter what. But when, when someone carries themselves with an appearance of how good they are, that shows me they don't know God at all. That shows me they're, they're hiding something insecure in their life because they don't want to turn it over to God. That shows me they're a very religious person who is depending on religion to save them. Someone who knows God has become very humbled by their condition apart from God and confident in Jesus' finished work on the cross. The second thing that happens is you get a right view of your sin and that creates an affinity towards God. You hear me? You have a right view of our sin and it creates a affinity toward God. We said this earlier, and this doesn't mean, this doesn't make you feel holier. It makes you feel dirtier. You know, this is good news when you put this posture of surrender and a correct view of self together because it pushes you towards God. And then we begin to see the beauty of the gospel from his perspective, and it takes our perspective and shatters it. And we begin to love God for showing kindness and mercy and mercy, and mercy over, over, over again in our rebellious hearts. And one of the very first evidences of the light of Christ coming to life in you is God giving you eyes to see your sin apart from Christ. You seeing who you are without him. And here's a great illustration that I can give you, and this is the only thing that I could probably give you because I'm not too smart. But listen, when it comes to understanding our sin, this is a great illustration. Um, and this is probably going to kill some of you OCD people. Anybody OCD in here? Got a couple. All right, good. Imagine you're in a really nasty room and it was completely dark, right? You ever heard of this? Okay, good. We're going to do it again. Imagine you were in a, in a completely dark room and it was nasty, but you didn't know it was nasty because you couldn't see nothing, right? Well, let's pretend like somebody come in and they, they struck a little match. All of a sudden, you can see a little bit. I mean, that's, that's dusty, man. That's, there's an there's a overturned dresser over there. That's got some crap. What is that? That's, uh, that's messing me up now. It's getting gross. Um, there's, a, there's a leftover plate of food. It's been there a few weeks. That's not good. Then somebody hands you a flashlight, and you're able to see a little bit more. And then somebody hands you an overhead lamp you turn on, and then you see more and more and more of the room. And this is what it's like awakening to God in, this, in our sin. This is the, the first sign of God's grace in you, getting a sense of how wicked your heart really is apart from Christ. The, the need for a Savior is revealed. But this is one of the things that people are so resistant to, admitting that they need Christ. But people, they'll admit they're not perfect. Or they make mistakes, but they, they bucket the thought of, of being worthy of God's judgment. And at, at our core, we want to insist that we're good people. I'm a good person. But they don't like the thought of having, you know, to, to submit to a God who says, you're not without Christ. Romans 3.10 says there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. And Martin Luther used a phrase that he said back in the day, a long time ago, at the beginning of the Reformation, holds the whole church up. It's a phrase that, which a church 
he says, will rise or will fall. And if someone gets this phrase, they get the gospel. And he says this, he says, you are simultaneously worse than you ever imagined. And you're more loved and accepted than you ever dreamed. Let, let that sink in for a second. You left to your sin are worse than you can ever imagine. I've been to prison ministries before where God has punched me in the throat and says, you're one decision away from being on this exact person's shoes. Think about that for a second. You may, I'm, I'm great, I'm great, I'm great. Well, wait till somebody makes you really mad. How great are you? You know what I mean? Like God is moving, trying to, trying to reveal himself to us through this. And this is why we said last week that an assurance in our salvation would always create a confident humility, never arrogance, and never pride. When we see our sin for what it is, it's lawlessness before God. Like Jesus, is a, he's the sacrifice for our sin. It becomes precious. Jesus becomes precious to me as I get closer to God. His commands become light to me and not burdensome. They become freeing and not constricting. The gospel becomes the most precious thing in our life in everything. And I mean everything, guys begins to be viewed through the lens of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation. And our life and our only hope and our, is, our, is our only security is found in the, in the realm of the gospel. And the clearest sign that you're growing in grace is not that you no longer sin, it's but that you are more aware of how much sin pervades your heart still. And God is calling you to repent and to move those things out of the way. And all of this is impossible without a posture of surrender. And this morning, we're not going to finish this, obviously, but um, I want you to see that all of these things, the right view of God, the right view of our sin, all points to us following Christ and us being in Him. But it also this, this is what gives you the best assurance that you could ever imagine, is you having a right view of your new identity in Christ. And this morning, as you're, as you're understanding this, is the God's acceptance is the power that liberates us from our sin. It's not the reward that we get for liberating ourselves by living a good life. God's power through the gospel liberates us from our sin. It moves us out of sin and shame and out of death. It moves us into a new life. Everything we do spiritually should flow out of this. And this morning, I know there are people here who have been struggling with doubt, who have been struggling with security and assurance, who have been struggling with temptation, who have been struggling with things in their life that, that they don't know how to deal with that you've been dealing with it on your own for so long because you're a Christian and you have this facade built up that people know that you're a Christian, that you can't, you can't struggle with this stuff because you're a Christian. But God is saying, in Christ, you've been forgiven. In Christ, you're not a slave to sin. In Christ, you are my child. You're my daughter. You're my son. And this morning, I need you to hear this, that God loves you and that God has a plan for you. And that God wants to use you to do amazing things for the kingdom through your life. Because if you're breathing here this morning, you have purpose. It's not over yet. And so this morning, we're just going to have some time of quiet. Kevin's going to play. And I just want to offer you the altar to pray. If you want to make some decisions, if you want to follow Christ, if you've never accepted Christ today as your Savior, as your Lord, our prayer team's going to be on the sides over here. And they would love to pray with you and lead you to that decision. If you just need to pray, come, lay it down, repent before the Lord God Almighty and say, God, I need you to save me from my sin. And if you need to make a decision to step into a relationship with him, come see one of us. We're just going to have a time where we're going to have some music playing. And it's going to be for your time with the Lord. If you have to go, just leave quietly. But if not, 
Spend some time alone with God. Get your heart in a place where it's just you and him. You're not hearing words to a song. You're hearing it's you and God. So let me pray for us and let's get to a, let's ask some questions really quick before we do that is where are you at? Will you acknowledge your sinfulness? Will you surrender to his lordship? Will you believe the gospel that you're far more worse than you think you are, but you're far more loved than you ever imagined? My prayer is that you would hear that this morning and that it would affect your life in a mighty way. So let's pray. God, we love you. God, we thank you that you're a loving God who, who's made a way for us, who's, who's given us new life in Christ, who's, who's given us a new start if we would just accept it. Well, I pray this morning for the person who's struggling. I, God, I know there are people here that are struggling. I pray that you would just touch their life right now in Jesus' name. God, I pray that they would just feel your presence in their life. God, I pray for the marriage that may be struggling. I pray for the communication that may need to be fixed right now. Father, I pray for the financial struggles that may people may be facing. God, I pray for the insecurity in someone's faith right now that someone's facing. I pray right now, God, that you would just give them the boldness and courage to come to this altar and pray to you, not to a man, but to their creator. Father, give us just a fresh experience of your presence in our life. Lord, help us to remember what we've been saved from and what we've been saved for. God, we love you so much, and we just want to honor you in everything we do in this church. God, we give you glory because you're the only one that deserves glory. We give you honor because you're the only one that deserves honor. So we just ask all this in Jesus' name. So Lord, come. Amen.